controversy stirring throughout college football right now. Lots of passionate mixed feelings about the Urban Meyer ruling at Ohio State, a toxic football culture at Maryland which may have led to the death of a player, and we have coaches calling other coaches overrated. Let's get into it. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts! Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man! I think Notre Dame got it right there! topics to get into today. It's pretty unfortunate that we're this close to the season. All I want to do is talk about the games, the potential that the season holds, but there's just too many issues going on that need to be discussed. First things first, Ohio State, the Urban Meyer situation. I wasn't even going to talk about this. I just because I kept feeling so many different ways about it. It is a really weird situation, but I feel like Everybody's talking about it. It's something that needs addressed. And we finally found out after more than 14 days of investigation that head coach of Ohio State, Urban Meyer, will be suspended for the first three games of the season without pay. This comes after investigators hired by Ohio State discovered that he mishandled a situation regarding an assistant coach and a domestic violence dispute. And I just want to say off the bat before I even get into it that whenever dealing with something that includes domestic violence, it's, it's never, there's never an easy way to talk about it because the reality is, is it's a very hot button issue, especially right now. And, and it should be. Domestic violence is a terrible thing. I want to make that very clear. Where I stand on domestic violence is that any man that assaults a woman should probably be castrated or killed. Uh, that's what I believe. I'm the type of guy that if I see a man assaulting a woman physically or even just verbally in public, I'll probably get in that guy's face and it might not end well for him. But that being said, when it comes to these issues coming out into the public sphere with big time names and people, not that Zach Smith, who's the alleged um, abuser in this situation, is any sort of notable person, but when it comes to these type of situations, it's just, they're hard to talk about, because in today's culture of social media, and the way information gets spread around, is everybody jumps to conclusions about everything very, very fast. Now, with this particular case, basically what happened is that Zach Smith the receivers coach for Ohio State, has had multiple allegations against him dating back to 2009 regarding domestic disputes and domestic violence with his now ex-wife, Courtney Smith. I'm not going to dive too much into all the details from the different reports and all the different dates and circumstances of what led up to what, but I think everybody knows that already. By the time you're hearing this, this is just more me giving my take on 
everybody's reaction to Urban Meyer's punishment. And if you go on Twitter right now, most people are pretty outraged. They think that justice wasn't served, that Urban Meyer got a slap on the wrist for something pretty egregious. And I just, I don't feel that that's all that happened. And I don't feel that there was enough evidence in this case for us to sit back there and to judge Urban Meyer. And before I even go further on Urban Meyer, let me make something else clear. I am not a big Urban Meyer fan. As a diehard Florida State fan, I did not appreciate when he used to thump Florida State on a year-in and year-out basis. Uh, So we can just start there. But even on a personal character basis with Urban Meyer, I've always found him to be somewhat of a fake-type coach. And I have nothing really to base that on other than just watching him coach in different games and countless interviews that I've seen with him over the years. But I did not like the way he left Florida. To me, you had a guy essentially fake a heart attack, or I don't want to call him out for faking a heart attack necessarily, but you had a guy who basically abandoned a program that was about to go downhill. Um, Urban Meyer brought the Florida Gators back to the days of Steve Spurrier, national championships, high-flying offenses, incredible defenses. They were the top dog for a while. And then a guy named Nick Saban got hired at Alabama. And after the 2009 SEC championship game, my opinion is that Urban Meyer basically realized, okay, there's another top dog in this conference. And whether he actually did have medical issues from that or... He wanted to get out of Dodge. Either way you look at it, it's kind of ridiculous to me, the way he left Florida. To be with his family more, he needed to spend more time with his family. So then as soon as he leaves Florida, a year later, he's at ESPN. And then a year after that, he's back at Ohio State University coaching, which is just as big of a program, a bigger program than Florida. So how do I buy this whole he had to spend more time with his family. I know there was specials that he did back when he first started with Ohio State about making promises with his kids and dad's got to be there. Well, guess what, Urban? Your kids were like in college by the time that happened. So most quality time's gone by then. But anyway, as I was saying, I'm just, I'm not a big Urban Meyer guy. But in this case, I, I feel like people are still just overreacting a little bit to the whole thing. When I see people like Paul Feinbaum and most of the the cast on ESPN just acting like they're disgusted by what happened at Ohio State and this punishment was such a slap on the wrist and Urban Meyer's a fraud. I mean, I just personally don't see that with this. I think that Urban Meyer tried to hang on to a friend, tried to give his friend the benefit of the doubt, And when it comes to legality, Urban Meyer really did not do anything wrong here, which is why he wasn't fired. You'll see a bunch of people here going, I can't believe that Jim Trussell was fired over this tattoo scandal and Urban Meyer keeps his job after this. Well, that's because Jim Trussell lied to his bosses on multiple occasions. Anyone would get fired for that. If Nick Saban told egregious lies to his bosses, he would get fired. 
That's a fireable offense. It doesn't matter what the lying was about. And the reality is, is Urban Meyer didn't do that. And as the report says, he mishandled the situation. And I think that's the perfect definition for it. He mishandled this situation. This is not a scandal, guys. This is not Art Bryles at Baylor. This is not Jerry Sandusky at Penn State. This is a coach mishandling a situation. And many coaches have mishandled situations far worse than this. The reality is, is that in 2015, when Courtney Smith was filing these domestic violence accusations, from my understanding, it was the police that contacted Ohio State and Urban Meyer and a lot of people. And they said that they weren't filing any charges. And for whatever reason, Ohio State, or Urban Meyer especially, felt that because no criminal charges were being brought upon Zach Smith at that time, that they didn't have any obligation to part ways with him. Now, you can make a moral case that they should have, or even a PR case back then that they should have, but the reality is is that they didn't have to under any legal matters. Zach Smith was not charged with any crimes. And I think when you're looking at any sort of case like this, we have no idea what Zach Smith and Courtney Smith's relationship was like. We were not involved in it. Urban Meyer was involved with it. And I think people are right when they say Urban Meyer cares a lot about winning almost more than anything else. So you're telling me that Urban Meyer really believed that Zach Smith was physically abusing his wife and he kept that guy on his team? No way. There's no way. If Urban Meyer truly believed that Zach Smith was physically abusing his wife, he would have fired him immediately to protect his own ass. That is the reality here. I mean, Urban Meyer is a guy that would always protect his own ass in any situation. And having a guy on your staff that's beating his wife is not something you would risk if you're Urban Meyer. I'm sure Urban Meyer was a lot more involved in that relationship than any of us. And that is probably why he reacted the way that he reacted at Big Ten Media Days and why he reacted the way he did just the other day at the press conference, which is making people appalled. You'll hear a ton of people saying he had a chance to apologize to Courtney Smith. Well, maybe Urban Meyer doesn't like Courtney Smith because he knows Courtney Smith more than we do. And I know that everybody says always believe the victim. And from the outside, people that aren't involved in a case, for the most part, should believe a victim. I believe Courtney Smith. I don't have any reason not to, but I also don't have a, any serious reasons to not believe Zach Smith either. My hunch is that he's lying about a lot of things. I feel that at the end of the day, he probably did get physical with his wife, and that's terrible, and he should be fired for that, absolutely. But I still don't know that. I can't definitively say what was going on in that relationship, and I honestly don't feel that it's my place, really. And I feel that that's the approach everybody needs to take. The people that are calling for Urban Meyer's firing, the people that are outraged, disgusted by the situation, it feels an awful lot to me like those people are just more out to get Urban Meyer than they are about talking about the issue of domestic violence. I think this 
issue brought to light how these issues need to be handled going forward. And there's things we can learn from them. The reality is, is that in 2015, when this was happening, Ur- Urban Meyer and Ohio State didn't take actions because they didn't feel it was necessary by the culture, by the standards, whether legal, moral, all of it. They didn't feel they needed to do anything about a coach who had a marital issue where no criminal charges were filed. That's the way they felt. And maybe going forward from now on, that won't be the case. Maybe from now on, just the mere accusation of domestic violence is going to be enough to get assistant coaches fired. I don't know if I agree with that, but maybe that's where we're headed. And if you agree with that, then maybe you can take that as a positive from this Urban Meyer situation. All I know is that we don't know what was going on in that marriage, in that relationship, and the police who investigated it, the police did not find anything that they thought was warranted enough to bring criminal charges to the case. So I just don't feel comfortable when that happens coming in myself and crucifying someone and calling for their job. It's very rare that you will hear me calling for someone's job. Okay, Art Bryles, Baylor, that situation where rapes were being covered up, rapes were being covered up, swiped under the rug, rapes. You had players raping women and it was getting covered up. That is terrible. That is egregious. And that is why Art Bryles, the head man of that program, was fired. Okay, so saying that Urban Meyer should completely be fired is comparing that situation to this situation. And that is ridiculous and kind of embarrassing if you care about victims of rapes and domestic violence okay these two issues are not the same they're not the same and i'm not gonna even keep going on with my personal opinions about this case because they don't even matter it doesn't matter my personal opinion about this case it doesn't your personal opinion doesn't matter paul feinbaum's personal opinion doesn't really matter at the end of the day public perception is public perception if people really really care about this then urban meyer's legacy will have a big black stain on it, and he'll never be the same. But I don't even think that's going to happen. And I think that Ohio State and Urban Meyer moving forward are going to be just fine. Why would Ohio State fire Urban Meyer? They, I think they're smart. They're, they are smart. They looked at this case and they said, okay, and this is one of the positive slash negative sides to this whole, like I said, everyone gets fired up right away mentality, is that no one's going to care about this in a little bit. Three months from now, a year from now, no one cares about this, which is exactly why Ohio State wasn't going to fire Urban Meyer. They wouldn't have been able to fire him with cause. They just wouldn't have been able to do that, which means they would have had to pay him $40 million to walk away from the program. That There's no way they were going to let this Thing with Zach Smith cost them $40 million and probably the best coach they've ever had since Woody Hayes. There's just no way. That was never going to happen. I honestly believe the only reason they gave a three-game suspension was because they wanted to avoid some of the PR backlash that was coming. I don't even think they wanted to give the three-game suspension. I don't think they honestly believe that Urban Meyer deserves this. I think this is a PR move. It's all about PR these days. But I also think Ohio State was smart enough to look in the future and go, you know what? This 
isn't going to affect us long term because it isn't. It's not going to affect them long term. If the Ohio State goes and wins a national championship this year, forget about it. The only way this affects Ohio State long term, in my opinion, is if they come out flat this year and underperform. They go 9-3 and three or worse. Then everybody's going to kind of be bringing this up as a reason why. Oh, Urban Meyer is not coaching the same, right? They're going to make like a Tiger Woods scenario out of it. But if they win the Big Ten, if they win a national championship, a big bowl game, make the playoff or whatever, then people are going to stop talking about this. They just are. Some people might be enraged about it, but that's just a fact, I think. And everyone's like, oh, this this damages his legacy. Is this going to affect them in recruiting? No, this isn't going to affect them in recruiting. I guarantee you that Ohio State and Urban Meyer will continue to recruit at a very high level. And that's for one of two reasons. Reason number one is I don't think the majority of the public is crucifying Urban Meyer the way basically everyone on ESPN is. Because most people have their own opinions, and I think there are a lot of people, there are definitely some recruits out there that this might change their mind, but not to the scale that it's going to affect Ohio State, that they're going to stop signing top classes, okay? People trust Urban Meyer, he's going to be able to go in living rooms and still regain the trust of the mothers and the sisters of the players that he's recruiting. Another reason is, is Urban Meyer recruits guys to put them in the NFL, Everybody's all cut up in, like, coaches coming in and being these father figures. And, and they are father figures a lot of the time, and that is a good thing. But Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, and Jimbo Fisher, those three coaches specifically, and there's a lot of co- other coaches that do this too, but those three coaches specifically recruit you by telling you you will be in the NFL in three years. And I look at all the players I have done that with at multiple schools come to my school, work your butt off for me, and I will put you in the NFL in three years, worst case scenario, four years. That is why players from all over the country go play at Ohio State and under Urban Meyer. Ohio State will always have good recruits. They're Ohio State. Jim Trussell had great recruits. Um, Cooper, back in the 90s, had good recruits. But the reason why Urban Meyer has been able to take them over the top is because he recruits future NFL players and can convince them that he can get them to the NFL and can get them there fast. So all these NFL-bound high school kids that can't see anything other than the league in their future, they're still going to go to Ohio State if they think that Urban Meyer can get them to the NFL. That's why they're at Ohio State. And I'm not saying that those players don't care about the Ohio State and the tradition, they still love all that stuff too. I'm just simply saying that it's a recruiting model that a lot of these top dog coaches have implemented. And Nick Saban and Urban Meyer have found that formula perfectly and it has worked very well for them. And that's a topic I'd probably like to get into on another podcast, that whole recruiting thing. But just focusing on this issue, yeah, I don't think this is going to affect them too much. People just aren't going to be talking about this in a while. Look at Florida State back in 2013. Public perception was that their quarterback was a rapist and that their coach covered it up and that the school covered it up. Now, it wasn't true. Anybody that can read a police report or look at any sort of reasonable evidence knows that that was all crap for the most part. But public perception 
was that Florida State was a terrible school that let rape and sexual assault slide under the rug. Okay, if you read any New York Times article about that situation, they basically made Florida State out to be terrible, right? Well, a couple years later, no one cares. No one talks about Florida State in that way. No one talks about Jimbo Fisher in that way. No one was calling for Jimbo Fisher to be fired after that because people forget these days. They move on and there will be someone next year that does something we don't like and we'll all be calling for him to be fired. So like I said, I'm I'm kind of done talking about this situation. I don't really think it serves a purpose right now for me to continue going. I just wanted to get out some of my thoughts on it. And I'll, and I'll admit, you know, I don't have the most educated thoughts on it. This is just kind of my opinion right now. I don't want anybody to think that I don't care about domestic violence or any of those things because I do. I just didn't quite see the fuss to the same extent that other people saw it. I do believe Urban Meyer made mistakes in this situation and that he was too loyal to someone that he shouldn't have been. But when everybody comes out and says that he has to be fired, that he's a fraud, he's the worst coach ever, they're disgusted, that just makes me, in a way, take his side a little bit because I just don't agree with that. I just don't agree with that. So that's all I have to say about it. And we've got other things to get into today. So let's get on to that. So you know it gets harder, but this time I won't let go. We so the other big story right now in college football is DJ Durkin and University of Maryland. They are under a lot of scrutiny right now in, due to the fact that a player died at a workout several months ago and new reports are coming out suggesting that it may have been due to a toxic culture within the program. So to recap the main story, basically Jordan McNair, who was actually a pretty highly touted uh, recruit, um, goes to Maryland. He was a redshirt freshman and back in late May of this year, they were doing some workouts and conditioning. We know that it was about 80 to 85 degrees outside so pretty hot but nothing unusual and I think they were doing like 110 yard sprints another very common workout exercise and basically by the end of the conditioning exercise Jordan McNair began to I guess he couldn't do them he was incapable of completing them or was kind of dogging out towards the end and apparently the strength coach was yelling at him you know to finish and Players ended up helping him finish, dragging him across at the end, which is also, I I will say, a fairly common thing that happens in intense workouts and football conditioning. But he never really fully recovered. He was suffering from exhaustion, and it was almost an hour and a half later that apparently people started to realize, like, oh, he's really not recovering. He's not doing well. And And a call to 911 was placed, and... Long story short, about two weeks later, Jordan McNair dies of heat stroke. And right off the bat, that has to make a lot of people really scratch their heads because in today's day and age, there's really no excuse why a group of monitored men doing workouts should ever die of something like heat stroke if medical trainers are on scene doing their job. But... 
after that, recently, a report has come out that suggests that maybe Maryland had a toxic culture, um, a, a culture that was all about intimidation and fear causing and coaches crossing the line. Uh, the report indicates that there was an incident where a player was forced to eat candy bars in front of the team until he like had to puke or something and that players were constantly verbally abused and whatnot. And I just want to say there's a lot of things coming out now that are calling for DJ Durkin's job. That's the head coach at Maryland. And I think that he might deserve to be fired for this situation, not because of this toxic culture that maybe was created, but when you're the head football coach of a university, you are the CEO, and anyone that works under you is your responsibility. And it definitely seems like the strength coach crossed the line a couple of times, but in my opinion, two things can be true at once. Maryland can have a toxic football culture, and maybe they did, and it also could not have been a part of what contributed to Jordan McNair's death. Um, I think that having a player die of heat stroke just means that the athletic trainers and medical personnel were terrible at their jobs. How do you let something like that happen? Heat stroke, death, 2018, young football player. That's just something that sh those words should never be put in the same sentence together. It's utterly embarrassing and reprehensible that that happened. So just based on that right there, I think you have more than enough to possibly get rid of the head coach, DJ, DJ Durkin. I know that he wasn't in attendance at that practice, and a lot of people say, how can he be responsible for what a strength coach does when he's not around? But he is responsible, and again, it's not even, I don't even think the strength coach had much to do with this. The medical trainers who observed him and waited so long to take the proper action, that is just ridiculous. There's no real reason, like, you just can't wrap your head around why that would happen. Players said that they saw him and he looked, quote, effed up, and... They didn't realize, though, that his life was on the line. And it's not the player's jobs to understand when someone's life is on the line in that situation. But it is the medical personnel's job. Literally what they're paid to do, to monitor the players, to keep them safe, to make sure everyone's hydrated, and getting the proper care they need for their bodies while exerting their bodies to their limits when doing these workouts and conditioning drills. So, I really just don't understand how that happened. I don't think it really has anything to do with the toxic culture unless you're literally telling me that the culture was so toxic that they didn't let medical personnel examine someone who clearly was in need of it. I don't think it's possible that it was that bad. Therefore, I'm just putting all the blame on the medical trainers and personnel that were obviously in contact with Jordan McNair while he was suffering and either just couldn't figure out what to do with them or didn't understand the severity of it somehow. But I don't know. I'm no medical expert, but I'm pretty sure that any sort of medical trainer at a division one college should easily be able to tell when someone needs 
attention for something like heat stroke and hyperventilating in this situation. So I, that's just something I'll never be able to understand. And it's a tragedy and it's terrible. And Maryland is going to pay the price for this, both in PR and financially. I'm sure a lawsuit is coming. So that's that. That's There's nothing more to say about that. That's terrible. Lack of responsibility on multiple ends. But that's not really what I want to talk about because I don't think anything that I just said really needed to be said. I just I felt I had to say it. But the real story that's coming out of this is everyone's focusing on this toxic culture story. And I'm worried that because there was a tragedy involved in the same program where they may have had a toxic culture that it's going to affect college football and football in general in a negative way. Football is a sport where intensity is very high. It's not uncommon at all for coaches to yell, scream, swear at players. Anyone who's played football knows this. A football practice is a very intense thing, especially in like a fall camp. And it is possible to cross a line it is a very fine line, but a football culture would be a toxic culture for probably anyone that isn't a football player, okay? If you're not a passionate football player, you don't enjoy the game, you're not going to enjoy football practice. You're not going to enjoy any part of being coached in football because it's very intense, and coaches definitely do cross the line, but Swearing at players, I'm not the biggest fan of swearing personally, but if swearing at players is crossing the line, then basically every coach that's ever coached football needs to be fired. I know there are a lot of coaches out there, like Scott Frost, for example, recently said he's not going to allow yelling and swearing at practice. And I think that's a good thing. That That's awesome. Um, but if he doesn't win football games, then he's going to be fired for someone that does do that. Anyone that's ever seen... Nick Saban um, at practice or in-game, he's very intense. He yells, he screams, he gets in your face. He can belittle you at times. I remember Jimbo Fisher was the same way, especially with his quarterbacks. I mean, really, sometimes borderline mean in some of the ways he would get after his players. I remember when I was in 6th, 7th, 8th grade, I was on a pretty competitive football team, and our youth coach was very intense. Um, not only did he yell a lot, but he pushed us very hard to our limits. I mean, I remember running until I was puking multiple times. And I feel like a lot of people that play football will tell you that. They had those practices, run until you puke. It's a common saying in football. And I think people in the outside world look at that and they just think, oh, that's that's toxic, that's bad, that's abusive. But it's not because everybody that joins a football team is well aware that, hey, I'm going to be verbally abused if you will but it's okay because it's all in good faith I know that this coach loves me and trusts me and is just trying to make me a better person that might not always be the case players don't always feel good about their coaches but usually at the college level someone's recruited you they've established a relationship with you and they hopefully have made it clear that they care about you they're trying to get what's best for you and they want you to be successful. So when you are being belittled in a practice or you're getting called out for your effort or your performance, whatever that may be, 
yeah, it can suck at times, but you know deep down that the coach is doing it in your best interest, so you accept it. And when something like this happens, like at Maryland, and then you have a report of some anonymous players saying that the culture was toxic, and based on the report, it does seem like certain things in this report were crossing the line. If we want to talk about the line for a second, I think that the line is crossed when you start belittling the human being, the player, instead of belittling their performance. There's nothing wrong with saying you're doing terrible right now. That performance was garbage. You know, F-bomb this, swear word this, your performance was, was this. But when you start saying you are whatever, you start saying belittling a person's character unless they've done something deserving to have their character questioned, that's where it can start to cross the line. And I definitely think that coaches on a regular basis sometimes cross that line. But this idea that's now being portrayed that football in general is a toxic culture and all these masculine men are just crossing the line all the time, these head coaches with power are abusing their players, I that is just not true, I don't think. And it, I think it would be a shame if we let this Maryland tragedy bring us to that kind of thinking about football in general. Football, for the most part, creates great men. It builds character. It makes you handle adversity, deal with adversity. And I can even tell you right now that there's a lot of life lessons that I learned from football. I would not be the man I was today if it wasn't for football, if it wasn't for some pretty intense coaches pushing to pushing me to my limits both mentally and physically on the football field I would not be the same person I am today I would not deal with adversity the way that I deal with it I might struggle more and that's not you know to say that if you didn't play football you aren't going to be able to handle life you know but football definitely is a stepping stone in the right direction for a lot of people when it comes to mental toughness and it is a very intense mentally tough game And although we have players at Maryland saying there was a toxic culture, I think it's important to say that there are a lot of players that aren't anonymous coming out defending their coach and defending the culture. You have parents of players doing the same thing. You have anonymous boosters doing the same thing. People that say they back DJ Durkin as a a coach. Will Muschamp, the head coach of South Carolina, he's come out and defended DJ Durkin. Uh, They used to coach together. And... Unrelated to the tragedy at Maryland, I just think we need to acknowledge that there isn't a toxic culture in football going on. Yelling and screaming is a normal part of the culture. 99% of football players accept that culture and embrace that culture. I always looked forward to sprints. Maybe I was one of the rare ones, but I always found conditioning as an opportunity to prove myself. I was waiting for other guys to dog it and and quit a little bit so that I could show the coaches that I'm the type of person that will literally run until I puke. And a lot of that was my own choice. You know, a lot of players want to be pushed to that limit. They want the accountability to be very high. And I just get a little scared when things like this come out. And again, the Maryland culture might have been toxic and there might be things that need to be done there. But when you read a lot of the reports and you look at the news a lot of times people are taking this Maryland case and expanding it to the rest of college football and acting like there's this huge problem and I just want to reassure to people that I just don't think that that's true 
and I would hate for a case like this, especially since there was a death tragedy involved in it, it makes me fearful that it might get to the point where either the NCAA, somebody comes in and starts regulating how coaches should coach. And I don't really think there's any place for that. There's so many different ways to coach. Some coaches are intense. Some coaches aren't intense. And the last thing we need is an outside source coming in and regulating how coaches coach their players. So again, that's all I really want to say about this situation. I'm not going to talk too much about specifically DJ Durkin and Maryland and their culture because I don't know everything about it. I just more wanted to address the ramifications that I hope don't come of this really tragic situation. Okay, so the last thing I want to say today is there was this poll that CBS Sports did where they polled, I guess, a bunch of head football coaches, a small circle of them apparently, and they asked them who the most overrated and underrated coaches were. And there's some parts of it that I really agree with, specifically the underrated parts, the coaches that were voted underrated. I totally agree. I think these are some very underrated coaches. But some of the overrated coaches, I just didn't really make sense to me. So 20% of the coaches polled said that Willie Taggart was the most overrated coach in college football. And I understand that one, actually. That one makes a little bit of sense because if you think about it, Willie Taggart is at Florida State now, one of the most premier programs, one of the best jobs in college football. And he really hasn't proven anything He has an overall losing record. He's never been at a big-time program of this magnitude before. He's kind of like that five-star recruit that, like, has a bunch of potential. So, like, you all know and assume he's going to be, like, the starter. But he still hasn't proven anything yet. So I understand why coaches would probably think that about him. You know, there's probably a lot of coaches out there that wanted the Florida State job that weren't even considered. And then a guy like Willie Tiger gets it. So I get that. But here's what I really don't understand. 20% of coaches also said that James Franklin was the second most overrated coach in college football. And that is ridiculous. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Look at Penn State. But before even Penn State, James Franklin won nine games at Vanderbilt two years in a row. They've literally only done that four times in their history, and the other two times were like, I think in the 50s or maybe even before that. Vanderbilt, people. James Franklin made Vanderbilt relevant. And by the way, he did it at a time when the SEC was at its height. So, not to mention Vanderbilt has crazy academic standards, just like Notre Dame and Stanford and Northwestern. So, that is very impressive. Probably one of the most impressive things you can do in college football and then when you think about the Penn State job that he's done remember he came into Penn State when they were still recovering from the Jerry Sandusky scandal probably the biggest scandal in sports history and he has Penn State nationally relevant again and they are one of the top dogs in the Big Ten I mean other than Urban Meyer at Ohio State James Franklin and Penn State are definitely that next big-time program in the Big Ten right now. He's definitely ahead of Harbaugh at Michigan. Um, 
he beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship in 2016 before going to the Rose Bowl. Um, they've been to two back-to-back New Year's Six Bowls, guys. Penn State has with James Franklin. They are recruiting at a very high level. And I, I don't understand why people think James Franklin's overrated. If anything, I would say he's underrated. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. The hype is real with James Franklin. Um, next on the list was Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. I don't think he's overrated. I mean, Iowa's not really a school that has crazy expectations, and he's consistently had some pretty good teams. Uh, he made the Orange Bowl back in, I want to say, 2008-9, I think, one of those years, and he had his team playing for a chance to go to the playoff. What was it, just in 2015, I think? They were undefeated going into the Big Ten Championship game, which they lost to Michigan State, and then they did get thumped in the Rose Bowl, but he got them to the Rose Bowl. So he's gotten them to New Year's Six games, I want to say, at least three times. I think he also got them there to the Orange Bowl in 2002, I want to say. Maybe he wasn't the coach then yet, but I think he was. And they, they lost to USC in that game, but I'm not sure about that. But either way, he's done a pretty good job at Iowa. Like, it's Iowa, guys. And he's consistently had a good team. Every now and then, he's had a really good team that's competed at a high level. So I don't understand what that's about, honestly. I think it's because he's paid really high. I think he's like the third highest paid coach in the Big Ten or something like that. So maybe that's where the overrated part comes in for money. But the next coach on the list was Lane Kiffin. Again, I don't think Lane Kiffin's overrated or underrated. I think he's right about where he is. No one acts like he's this up-and-coming amazing coach. People expect him to get a Power 5 job soon. But the only thing that's held Lane Kiffin back from that stuff has kind of been like his attitude, his personality – he didn't do a terrible job at USC, um, and when he was the offensive coordinator at Bama, that offense was flying high. I truly believe that at least one of those national championships that Nick Saban won can pretty much be given to Lane Kiffin as credit. Not full credit, obviously, but he deserves a lot of credit for the way Alabama played from 2014 to 2016. Um, he came in at a time when Alabama was trying to adjust offensively to keep up with the times, and he innovated for them and kept their offense relevant in years where they might not have been as relevant adjusting to that. And a lot of that you do owe to Nick Saban for making that move. But anyway, if you get into the underrated coaches, I totally agree with a lot of these. David Shaw was the most underrated coach, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, If you look at what he's done at Stanford, He has consistently had them as a power in the Pac-12. Every year they're going to Rose Bowls, competing for the Pac-12 championship game. They haven't made the national championship game or the playoff yet, but they're always right on the cusp. And you got to remember, before Harbaugh came to Stanford and built them into what they are, which is what Shaw has maintained, they were nothing. I mean, Stanford was the laughingstock of the Big 12, at least as far back as I can remember. My entire childhood, Stanford was that team that, you were going to beat if you were a Pac-12 team. So David Shaw has them playing extraordinary well. He has year in and year out. He's definitely an underrated coach. Chris Peterson at Washington. I mean, I think he's the most underrated coach ever. I I think I said on my uh, season preview last episode that 
Chris Peterson, to me, is third in line as far as the best coaches. Right after probably Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, I would say the next best coach is Chris Peterson. He just hasn't won the national championships at big-time programs. But what he did at Boise State was just incredible, phenomenal. The way he plays and has his teams perform in big games is amazing. So I definitely agree with that and being underrated. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern, was another one on the underrated list, and I definitely agree with that. Um, If you look at what he's done at Northwestern, he's consistently had them playing pretty decent, very similar to Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, not quite as good as them, but Northwestern competes, and they're a school, again, with academic standards that probably should be like what Vanderbilt is most years, but they're a decent football team. Northwestern is, especially, like, look at last year. Northwestern was not a team that you could just go in and beat. I think they finished, like, either 8-4 and or 9-3, and and they were a good team, and they consistently have had some pretty good teams there at Northwestern. So Pat Fitzgerald, in my opinion, should be at another program by now, but he just hasn't really put himself out there. Same with, like, you know, David Shaw. I think that's why he's on this list. He hasn't really put himself out there for other jobs. He's definitely comfortable just staying at Stanford. And then another coach that really stood out to me on this list is Kyle Whittingham at Utah. Talk about a guy that's been in a place for a long time. I mean, I remember as like a fifth grader or sixth grader playing NCAA football and Kyle Whittingham being the coach at Utah. And they've had some pretty good teams. If you look at before they were in the Pac-12, he's the coach that, you know, took them to the Sugar Bowl that one year when they beat Alabama in 2008, a very good Alabama team, mind you. And then they joined the Pac-12 and they have competed in the Pac-12 been pretty good. They're one of the harder teams to beat out of the Pac-12 South. So I definitely agree with this underrated list. I think the overrated list is a little questionable. Kind of seems like coaches being jealous and putting a bunch of coaches that they were either jealous of or didn't like on that list. But the underrated coach, I totally agree with. So I don't know. That was just a little bit of fun to mess with that list. I saw that the other day and just definitely had some head-scratching opinions about the overrated side of it. And Definitely agreed with the underrated side of it. But anyway, that concludes today's episode. So, guys, I want you to reach out to me. If you have questions that you want me to talk about or topics you want to talk about, email me at letstalkcollegefootball at gmail.com. I would love to answer any questions that anyone has. Um, Like and subscribe. Again, we're on iTunes now. You can follow me on SoundCloud, um, Google Play. YouTube, subscribe on YouTube and leave comments on there if you have questions. And yeah, thank you all for listening. On the next episode, I'm going to be breaking down some of the week one matchups. We're finally less than a week away from the season starting and I couldn't be more stoked. So thanks for listening and I'll see you guys next time.